Mm. Hey, <laughs> interesting intro. My name is John, and you are listening to a series right now on the Book of Lamentations. My name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something good with it in the season that we find ourselves. So here we go. Uh, this is number four. This one is called uh, The Book of How Feeling Broken Down, and it's part four. Now, in the midst of this corona season virus, coronavirus season, and everybody staying at home, um, I thought it might be interesting to do a brief study through the Book of Lamentations. Now, you might think that seems odd, but really it's just because the word lamentation should really be translated as how. It's a whole book that's just asking the question of how did this happen? How long is this going to go on? How could this be of any benefit for anyone or anything? So it seemed appropriate. And uh, each episode we've talked about what is something timely and timeless from each chapter. And it's been an interesting ride. So this one is going to be about feeling broken down and how do you how do you lament feeling broken down? And for my own personal openness and vulnerability, I felt pretty broken down this week. I think last week had something else going on. I was just settling into this whole thing of being at home. But I think this week it, it just kind of hit like a level of fatigue and yeah, just feeling broken down. I don't know how else to word it, but maybe you're there too. So this chapter, uh, chapter four is what we'll be doing. We're going to have a few opening comments. We'll read the whole chapter, say some things at the end, and then we'll be done. So thank you for checking this out. And hopefully this will be somewhat entertaining. Now, before we read chapter four, I have to say something. I recognize that some of you might be asking, like... Now, hold on, John, right? Why not start focusing on hope? Why is it that you're still doing this book that still seems like it's rather negative? Why don't we talk about hope? Well, hope is in the midst of this. And, and chapter three had some hopeful verses in there. But there's something unique with lamentation, right? And it's that there's a, there's a kind of a paradox that... Hope is something you have to come to limping. You know, you can't be on your best foot forward and then engage hope because you don't really need hope when you're standing tall and your shoulders back and chin up, you know. Hope is for when you're limping. And so there's something to be said that before you can get to hope, you've got to walk for a bit with a limp. You have to walk for a bit through the darkness. And... Just last week, we, we did do Easter, but even Easter means nothing without the Good Friday before that, when Jesus is crucified, right? Now, <clears throat> I also realize we might be feeling like we've got a prolonged Good Friday, but that's okay. And it, it truly is, because there's a season or a pattern to life, and yes, Good Friday is can be a season before we get around to the Easter where things get reborn and, and resurrected or completely thrown up in the air in a brand new way and it all lands in a, into a new world, you know? But there's something to be said that 
You can't quite rush to hope. And if you do rush to hope, you can almost make it facile. You can make it kind of fake. You can make it a little colorless or flat. So just sit sit in with this a little bit longer. We've only got two more chapters of Lamentations. Chapter four today and then chapter five next week. But if you're feeling broken down, hopefully this chapter will help give some poetic language to what you're feeling. Now, in chapter four, it's 22 verses and each line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, if you were to read it in the original Hebrew. But um, the poet that's writing chapter four, and I've said this before, we think that chapters one through five, it's only five chapters, uh, were each written from a different vantage point about the same event, the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of all the people. They're sold and sent into slavery and just scattered. And so this one event is being looked at by five different people, and they each wrote a poetic chapter, and that's the Book of Lamentations. Well, in this chapter, this person is experiencing it in a passive way. It's like they are passively, they have, they have no option. They have to just sit and watch as their beloved city gets demolished and the people just get beaten down by the experience of it all. And so what the author, the poet is really experiencing is a what we like to call in Jesuit spirituality, a passivity of diminishment. They didn't bring it on themselves, or at least in this instance, in this chapter, they're passive, they're recipients of it. And it's a receiving that makes them less. It beats them down, breaks them apart, diminishes them. So this is a passivity of diminishment. And some of you may even feel like this season is. I kind of feel that way. The coronavirus and then the stay-at-home mandate to quarantine has more or less been, for some of us, not a thing of growth. And it certainly wasn't anything that most of us would have actively chosen. This was a a passivity of diminishment that was imposed on us. And now we just have to sit in it and ask the lamentation question of how, how do we go through this? How do we make anything of this? So it's a passivity of diminishment. Um, The author here is being deprived of what enables their thriving. And so clothing and food and water gets deprived. And so the author the poet is really not thriving at all. And again, that might feel like you right now, that you're being deprived of a lot of the things that you thought helped you to thrive. Well, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that feel that way too. So let's dive in. We're going to read chapter four straight through. I'll just make a few comments. And then at the end, we need to ask the question, what is something timely and timeless here? All right. So buckle in, take a seat, or if you're out walking, that's fine too. Keep walking at a good pace and just listen. Experience this because this is like theopoetic language. God is in the midst of this uh, writing. However, it's all poetic. And so it can feel raw and that's okay because a lamentation should be raw. Let's do chapter four. Verse one. 
how the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull, the sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How, how precious, how the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my people have become heartless like ostriches in the desert. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those brought up in royal purple now lie in ash heaps. The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom. Turn the page which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to help her. Their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than than rubies, their appearance like lapis lazuli, which I have no idea what that is. But now they are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones and has become dry as a stick. So they're deprived of water. This is definitely a diminishment. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine. Racked with hunger, they waste away for lack of food from the field. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. That is horrible. The Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. So even the city itself is getting broken down. The civilization, the the society that they knew. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the earth, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Oh, they thought they were invincible. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grope through the streets as if they were blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one cares to touch their garments. Oh, go away. You are unclean, people cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. When they flee and wander about, people among the nations say they can stay here no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no honor. The elders no favor. Moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers, he watched, we watched for a nation that could not save us. Oh. They stalked us at every step, so we would not walk in our streets. Wow, so we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near, our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than eagles in the sky. They chased us over the mountains and lay wait for us in the desert. So this is them being driven from the city. The Lord's anointed, our very life breath, was caught in their traps. We thought that under his shadow we would live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom, you who live in the land of Uz, because... But to you also the cup will be passed. You will be drunk and stripped naked. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile. But he will punish your sin, daughter Edom, and expose your wickedness. There we go. (coughs) Let me take a drink of my water right here. Sometimes my mouth gets dry from reading that long. 
Okay. So let's think about it. Um, the second to last line, so that would be in the, sec- in the last verse, it does say your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile. So at least in that instance, even though this is a whole chapter about being beat down by thirst and famine and being driven from your favorite city and watching it be burned, all of those things are diminishments. But at least in this chapter, it actually does say that they are being given what they deserve. And I think it's actually in chapter three that says we should have no complaint if we brought upon certain things to ourselves. Who are we to complain for our own sins that have actually come back around onto us? Now, this is an interesting part, though. He will not prolong your exile. It doesn't say that he will protect you from it, but that God will not prolong it. So it will be exactly as long as it needs to be. All right. So let's talk about timely and timeless. Uh, We continue to read this ancient bewildering book that doesn't always seem to harmonize with itself because it's timely. It, It was written over thousands of years. And on top of that, you could say it was written or each individual book and even individual chapters were written for a particular people, for a particular place, for a particular problem. And so there was a definite context for each of these chapters that we're not living in, right? Today, we are a different group of people in a different land with different problems. However, even though it's timely, there's also, excuse me, things that are timeless, there are things in this chapter that pertain to every single generation generation and people and to more problems than just the defeat of Jerusalem. Okay. So what's timely here? Well, the person is passively watching as their people are being crushed and diminished and not being acknowledged as being valuable anymore. What was once considered riches now means nothing. And so their whole economic system is completely upturned. Oh, that sounds interesting. Not only that, but it seems to be that an invading outside force has come in and laid waste to everything that they thought they knew. (laughs) that, That also sounds quite timeless. Now, at least in this chapter, though, they recognize that the... The exile will only be as long as it needs to be, maybe for them to learn their lesson. So at least in this chapter, hope takes the form of recognizing that there's a limit to the degradation. There's a limit to the being broken down. And maybe, at least for this chapter, the people of Jerusalem needed to be broken down because they needed to be humbled, not humiliated, but they must have done some really terrible things to exact this level of humbling. And it says that their priests and their leaders were just terrible, terrible people. So much so that not only were their economic system upthrown, but also their religious system and through famine and thirst and poverty, everything just hit. 
Now, that's some of the timeless or timely. Let's talk about timeless, right? Things that are eternal principles in here. Okay. Well, I would guess every single generation probably experiences a cycle or a season or something that happens that upturns their economics, their anthropology, the way they think about how to be human. I would guess every generation has got to deal with some level of of want or need, of famine, thirst. And so at the beginning, I said that the author, the poet of chapter four is experiencing the deprivation, the pulling away of the things that would normally help them to thrive. Okay, that sounds like us. A lot of the things that we maybe felt like we needed to thrive have been pulled back or at least massively scaled back. And our economic system has been upturned. And I wouldn't necessarily say uh, the value of people has been forgotten, like how in this chapter, it's almost like the opposite. I think right now we're almost more acutely aware of the importance of other people, of the value. Maybe before we were starting to take people for granted, but now, since we're all at stay-at-home or quarantine, I bet many of us are actually starting to recognize that we needed to reevaluate how we understand ourselves and one another. So there is certainly a timeless element. There's themes of, well, let, let me list them, of value. There's themes of um, being broken down or degradation or diminishment. There's themes of questioning God. But you know what? There's also a sobering thing that says maybe this has already paid for the sins of which we've brought this on. But this exile won't be any longer than it needs to be, which could be a mercy. But that maybe means that we have to seize the moment and make sure that we capitalize on what it is that we're supposed to learn from all of this supposed stay-at-home exile. I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. So why don't, I mean, you could leave a comment or text me or do whatever you want to say, what do you think is a timeless principle that happened in this chapter, chapter four, that still happens for every generation today? Now, I think what we have to recognize, though, is hope, to go back to the beginning, full circle, hope has to be something that we come to while limping. And it's very interesting that chapter 4, verse 22, that's that's the passage that has seemingly the most hope. When it says, your punishment will end, daughter Zion, he will not prolong your exile. That we had to go through pretty much 21 chapters, or 21 verses of degradation and feeling broken down and beat down by life and its circumstances before we could get to that point where we say, but there is a limit to this. And maybe that's part of the good news here. There is a limit to being broken down that this this isn't the new normal forever. It might be a season. It might be a long season. 
But at least the book of Lamentations <clears throat> asks the question of how long, not is this the new way things are going to be forever. No, in fact, the book of Lamentations chapter 4 at least recognizes that the passivity of diminishment <coughs> is just a season. It's not long term. And maybe that's some good news. Because we tend to think, however today is going, that's how it's going to be forever. And so if today's great, then we think forever is going to be great. Or if today's terrible, we tend to think forever is going to be terrible. Rather than understand that life has got some ebbs and flows that sometimes we bring onto it, or sometimes it, bring, it brings onto us. And I think maybe there's some gospel there that we have to rethink the way we think <laughs> about good days and bad days. We are prone to saying good days will last forever or bad days will last forever rather than realizing every day will be different. And so that helps us to acknowledge the good days when they are good, but it also helps us to realize that there's a limit to the bad days, that there is going to be an upswing coming at some point. So let's finish, all right? Uh, I already said hope is something we've got to come to while limping. You can't get to Easter unless you go through Good Friday, and, and you really can't rush a Good Friday season like this. But that also, these seasons are limited. They're not forever, which is great. <coughs> so, may you, the listener, find some hope in the midst of all of this. But may you find it in a curious and paradoxical way by acknowledging First, the things that are breaking you down. May you not rush to hope too quickly and therefore make it kind of lackluster. May you sit in your Good Friday experience legitimately so that you can come to your own Easter legitimately. And may you come to see that every season has its limits and all we have to do is just patiently endure and just try to make the best of it along the way. Because the divine is even in the breaking down. But that the breaking down, God does not do the breaking down for the sake of breaking down. God does the breaking down for the purpose of building up again, better, stronger, more resilient, all of those things. So thank you for listening. This was... The Book of How, Part 4, Feeling Broken Down, and may grace and peace be with you.